Amen. What a good day, huh? Isn't the Lord awesome? Doesn't he just always meet us right where we need to be met? It's such an awesome thing to think that we have a God that cares about us and he knows about us and he has our concerns in the forefront of his mind, not just on the back of his mind, not just when he could get to it, but we are on the front of his, we are on the tip of his tongue. We're in the forefront of his mind. Your needs are at the forefront of God's mind. Do you know that? That's the kind of God we serve. Isn't that awesome to know that? That he loves us so much that he's concerned about your need? Yeah, that's so cool. That is really cool. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to continue on in our discussion that we started a few weeks ago on Matthew chapter 25. We talked about the parables that Jesus spoke. And those parables were spoke in the context of the end time. Remember, chapter 24 was talking about what's going to happen in the end of the time and at the end of the days. And so Jesus went from talking about what's going to happen and uh, what to be prepared for into what should we be doing in preparation for that. And that's really what these parables are about. And this last one we're going to talk about is, is about the sheep and the goats. And really, if I title this sermon, it says sheep and goats. What, what does your evidence say? What does your evidence about your life say? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? And we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to hopefully understand a little bit more what that means and what Jesus was trying to say to the people then and clearly for what he's trying to say for us today. And I think this is timely because last week we were at a community service for Orphan Sunday. And I really enjoyed that service. I thought it was an awesome experience. I thought that the speaker did an awesome job talking about the needs of our community, the needs of people around us. He used a parable that Jesus spoke of the, um, of the, um, um, oh, I forgot it, the Good Samaritan, thank you. It was the Good Samaritan parable and uh, how important that is that we know who our neighbor is. And what do we do? And how do we take care of our neighbor? And he did just an awesome job with that. And, and I think then that this leads right into where we're at here in our church and the things that we're putting our hand to and, and maybe why are we putting our hand to it and what are we putting our hand to? And uh, there is so much to do. There is so much to do in our community and in our church and in our world and that we are truly to be actively in the, in the work of our, of our king. If we're going to be building his, his kingdom, now is the time to do that. And uh, there is something for every one of us to be doing. I don't care how small you think you are or how big you think you are. There is something to be doing. If one is looking and willing to be part of what God is asking us to do, there is something for us to do. And that's really exercising true religion. When we do what God is asking us to do, that is true religion. James talked about this. James was an apostle. James also was a half-brother of Jesus. And he talks to us in, in the book of James about that. And I want to read this. This is not our text, but this will kind of, I believe, kind of get us into the mode of our text. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27, he says, Do not merely listen to the world, to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Rather, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law 
that gives freedom. I want to stop there for a minute. The perfect law that gives freedom. What's law indicating? Law really is teaching. Another word of law could be teaching. Whoever looks into the, into the perfect teaching that gives freedom. Now, he's not saying that gives condemnation. Not law that, give, that brings guilt. Not law that brings uh, a negative, hard word. Not law that brings any type of a negative influence, but the law, the teaching that brings freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion, the key verse, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, the question might come, who are the widows and who are the orphans? Who are the widows and who are the orphans? Well, in many cases, we're all orphans. We are all orphaned until we are adopted into the, father, into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're all orphans in this world to, to some regard. But more than that, there are those that are truly in need of someone to come alongside them in this world. There truly are physical orphans, and there are widows that just cannot take care of themselves. And as we, as believers, as we, as Christ followers, will do the job that we're given to take care of the orphans and the widows, that is the true religion that God calls pure. Now, maybe, I'm say, maybe you don't like the word religion. Maybe the word religion seems too formal to you. Well, God needs religion. There is a form of religion that is good, and that is getting out of our own self and getting out of our own selfishness and looking for the needs of others. That is a pure religion that God accepts as pure. And if God accepts it as pure, then I'm going to. I'm not going to argue with God on that. I'm not going to try to redefine the terms. That's exactly what Paul or James said, and that that is the kind of things that pleases our Lord. So, as we look at our text this morning and we start looking at the sheep and the goats, I think we will find out what God's heart is on this. And so that's kind of a precursor, knowing that God's heart is one of pure religion, which is what? Taking care of those that are less than us. Taking care of those that are less fortunate to the, than us. And in this discussion here, we find this more than just a parable, the parables were earlier uh, said, this is more of a discussion as to how the parable, this is kind of an explanation of the parables, how they will be, how the consequences will be, will be meted out. So as we read this, it's, it's a parable, but yet it's not necessarily a parable. It's a discussion that Jesus gives as to how he is going to look at those once he moves from the mercy seat that he's in right now to the judgment seat of where he's going to be at some point in time in all of our lives. So let's read that. Let's read it. Open your Bible, if you would, to chapter, Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to begin at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I will tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who were cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you, did, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you, Lord, that you are uh, willing to go to great lengths to explain what you want us to do. And Father, I pray now that our hearts would be open. I pray that our spiritual eyes would be open open. I pray that our hearts would be willing to receive. I pray that you would soften our hearts of stone, God, and make them hearts of flesh that we would understand and see. I pray, God, the word to be delivered clearly and concisely to the best of our ability, and that we would hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, I know that that was a long passage of scripture to read, but I think if we followed it, I think it was very clear. But let's try to break it down and understand what Jesus is wanting us to learn from this today in our day and age. Let's go back to verse 31, the first verse. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, we all know that there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before God and give an account of our life. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So we know that. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But I wonder, but I wonder how, how much time we actually consider that day. Have you, how much time do you actually sit down and consider what that day is going to be like? We have a tendency, I think, to gloss over some of those harder things that are going to come our way and maybe think, well, you know what? Uh, when that day comes, I'll deal with it. When that day comes, I know God will be gracious to me. I know God's grace is, is, is all sufficient and so forth. Well, the point of that is, yes, that's true. But his grace is all sufficient now. While he's sitting on the throne of grace today, this is when his grace is all sufficient. This is when he's all forgiving. But when it comes to that day, he's going to change hats. And he's not going to be the God of grace. He's going to be the God of judgment. He's going to be the God that mets out exactly what's due you and I for what we've done. At that point in time, then there is no more forgiveness at that point. That is a time of reckoning. That is a time where we're going to come before him and we're going to give an account of what we've done, and he's going to hold us accountable to that. The day of grace is today, not, not then. 
it's important that we recognize that we understand when is God, when God's all-encompassing mercy happens, and he's given it right now. He's a very patient God. So the purpose of this message, message today is not to dwell upon that so much as to make the example or make the point that today is the time for us to be concerned about what we're going to be receiving that day. If I wait until that day to be concerned about it, it's too late. Now is the time. Today is the time for us to be concerned about what he's going to tell us and why we need to be uh, busy today and doing the things that, that um, is going to give us good results. So as we look at this today, we need to examine the evidence of our lives right now so that when we stand before Jesus that day and he sees the evidence that will be presented to him, that we will be pleased with that evidence. See, I have opportunity to change my evidence today. If I don't like what I see, today I have opportunity to change. And I have every opportunity to do the things that I know would be pleasing to the Lord. So the question then for us today is, what does the evidence in our lives bear for us on that day? Think about that. Spend time dwelling upon that a little bit. Not to go negative, because as we read in James, the truth that we hear brings freedom brings freedom. It doesn't bring condemnation. It doesn't bring guilt. It doesn't bring a hard word. So there is no way, shape, or form that I'm trying to do that today. I'm not trying to bring that. I'm trying to bring freedom, like James was bringing. James said, if you know what you should do, then do it. And what that does, that brings freedom in your life. It brings freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from um, things that would come into you that Otherwise, if you didn't do that, would be guilt and condemnation. So this morning, that's why I prayed, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears and our hearts to hear what you would have us to know in this time of your grace, that this is the time to be working in the kingdom to give us freedom. So what does the evidence of your life say? What is your evidence about for you? between yourself and with, between God, what is it saying to you when you look at it? Understand that, that when the day comes to stand before God, that you won't be able to change your evidence or cover it up. It will all be laid bare before the Lord that day. Verses 32 and 33 says, All the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now this indicates that all the people, all the people of the world, no matter when they lived, no matter where they lived, no matter what their social standing was, no matter what their poverty level was, no matter how rich or poor they were, no matter if they were in a tribe in Africa or if they were in Washington, D.C., it doesn't make any difference. It says all the people all the nations will be gathered before him. No one will be able to escape that day. No one will be able to hide behind somebody else and kind of, kind of sneak through this opportunity of judgment. No one will be able to say, God, uh, I'm, no, no one will sneak through. Everyone will be given an account. Every person will be presented to Jesus totally on their own. No more moms and dads. No more grandparents. No more pastors. No more spouses to hide behind. See, up until that day, we all can kind of blend in here. 
we all can kind of blend in and kind of flow with the crowd. We can kind of just kind of move along with everybody and kind of fit in and nobody really knows what's going on and I can just kind of be floating along, you know, and nobody knows. But there's going to come a day when that won't happen. And that good or bad, good or bad, the Lord will, we will stand before the Lord and he will talk to us. <laughs> he will talk to me and he will talk to you. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary about this passage. They cannot separate themselves one from another in this world, nor can anyone else separate them. But the Lord knows them that are his, and he can separate them. This separation will be so exact that the most inconsiderable saints will not, shall not be lost in the crowd of sinners, nor the most plausible sinner hid in the crowd of saints. But everyone shall go to his own place. Psalm chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. He puts the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. There's no middle ground here any longer. There is no blending into the crowd, no blending into the church, no blending into the family. You will be in one camp or the other. You will be on the left side or the right side. There is no middle here there is a, where the decision has not been made. The decision will already have been made at that time. Are you in the left or are you, are you on the right? The time to decide which side we're on is right now. Right now is where we choose sides. Right now. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You can say, well, I'm going to wait till I'm older. I'm going to wait till I'm married and have kids. I'm going to wait this. I'm going to wait that. I'm going to wait till my financial situation is more stable. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We don't have any idea what tomorrow holds. So now is the time. You choose, am I going to be a sheep or am I going to be a goat? Now let's talk about what does that mean? What, who are the sheep and who are the goats? The sheep, the sheep are those that are useful in the kingdom of God. The sheep are the true believers of Jesus. They're the ones that know the voice of the Father. They're the ones that are listening and doing and being active in the kingdom today. Those are sheep. The ones that are making a difference. The ones that are putting their lips and their life together are the sheep. The ones that are lining up with God's word and are actually doing what the word says. Those are sheep. Goats are those that are professing, yet not truly confessing Christian people. There's a lot of goats in the church today. There's a lot of people that will sit in the church and blend in, but yet they don't do anything for the kingdom. Now, I don't mean to get personal but I'm asking myself these questions. I ask myself these questions all the time. Father, what's my evidence? What is my evidence that I am a sheep? I want to know what am I really like in your eyes. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to read the word and merely listen to the word. I want to do the word, therefore I'm not deceived. Those are good questions to ask ourselves today. Am I a sheep? Am I a goat? There may be a lot of people claiming to do things, claiming to be sheep, but 
when the Lord separates them, he will separate them. Now, how do you know? How do you know? Let's look at some scriptures. Let's look at some scriptures that would tell us if we're sheep or goats. Psalm chapter 119, verses 167 through 168. I obey your statutes or statutes, your law or your teachings, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. Let me ask you, is that a sheep or a goat? That's a sheep. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Sheep or a goat? My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Sheep or a goat? Goat. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Sheep or a goat? Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Sheep or a goat? A goat. Good. You guys are good. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Sheep or a goat? This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Sheep. There you go. That gives you some understanding if you're a sheep or a goat. If you chaff at the teachings of God's word. If your hair on the back of your neck bristles when a teacher or a preacher or a friend challenges you about your lifestyle, are you a sheep or a goat? You see, if somebody really loves you, what will they do for you? Will they tell you a lie or will they tell you the truth? Truth, yeah. Does the truth hurt sometimes? Yeah, it does. But what's best for you? Do you want to be deceived? Or do you want to have someone tell you the truth so you know the true path? Amen. What kind of church do you want? What kind of fellowship do you want with believers around you? What kind of friends do you pick? Do you pick the friends that tell you the truth? Or do you pick the friends that tell you how good that you are? Yeah. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a sheep? Or do you want to be a goat? Let's continue on, verse 34 and 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. You know, Jesus is really serious about blessing people that bless him. He's really serious about this. He says, I will give you an inheritance. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is premeditated blessing. He is really serious about those that are serious about him. And this is not just a, oh, by the way, I've got something prepared for you. No, he's been preparing this forever. He started preparing your mansion before the creation of the world began. Think about that. Think about God's preparation. 
John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, My father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, I, would I have told you that I would come back there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I don't know about you, but that motivates me a little bit. To know that Jesus is already in the process of building my mansion. So if he's involved in building my mansion already, should I not be involved in building his kingdom here? Should I not be actively involved in doing what I need to do here so that I will have a mansion there? Can I expect Jesus to build something for me if I'm not building something for him? Can I expect him to give me something that I don't deserve? Can I expect him to say, well done, thou good and faithful, if I'm not well done and good and faithful? Can I expect him to tell me something that's not true? No, God is just. Jesus is just. And so if I want that, I need to be motivated now to make sure that I'm working the kingdom of God and that I am a sheep. So based upon the evidence of my life and the evidence of your life, let me ask you, are one of the homes that Jesus is creating now, are one of them yours? Are one of them mine based on your evidence today? Not just based on what you want, but based on your evidence. You see, the, the Lord has been dealing with me for the past number of weeks on evidence. Evidence. Not just my desires, but what is my life showing? If someone were to walk around and follow me around 24 hours a day for the next two weeks, what would they call me? What would my evidence show them? Would they show that I truly am a godly man? Would it show that I really do have the, the God's heart in my heart? That he really is the center point of my life? By the way that I read God's word and the time that I spend in prayer and the things that I do for people? What is my evidence? If I claim to be a spirit-filled man, is the Holy Spirit's evidence flowing through me? I love what we're talking about in Sunday school. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Rip used an analogy today, which is awesome. If I was to be water baptized, I come out of the water, what's different about me? I'm wet. And if I hugged you, what would happen to you? You would get wet. If I am baptized, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, should there not be some physical evidence in my life that would show that I am baptized and have the power of the Holy Spirit in me? When I give you a spiritual hug, should not there be something flowing out of me into you? That's evidence. That's evidence. And that's what I want in my life. I want evidence that I am a spirit-filled, saved man. I just don't want to profess it. I want to claim it, and I want to live in it, and I want evidence to follow me. I want there to be a trail of evidence behind me that Jesus is in my life. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? Absolutely not. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you right now that I'm not. But that's not the important part. The important part is that I'm forgiven. And that I, when I make mistakes, because I'm going to make a mistake, and so are you, that I know where to go to ask for forgiveness. And I don't repeat the same mistakes over and over. And I work hard at being a godly man. And I work hard at being a holy man. And I do the best that I can day after day. I just don't give up on it. I work hard, the hardest I can, because I want to make sure that I am a sheep. I don't want to be a goat. 
Now, what's the answer of these righteous people when Jesus says what he said about them? Let's look at verse 37 and 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When I read that, that is really sappy. I mean, that just flows over with humility and true, God, I don't, what, what do you mean? What did I really do in life that really required that? I, I was just living for you, Jesus. <laughs> I was just loving people. I, I was just doing what I knew was the right thing to do. When did I do this? I don't remember seeing you. I don't remember that. Yeah, because you did it to the least of these. You did it for people that you knew couldn't pay you back. You did it for the right reasons. You did it with the right heart. You did it because you were filled with the Holy Spirit and it just flowed out of you. And God's love and mercy and grace just flowed out of your life. That's humility. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for somebody that says, yep, yep, I did that. That was me. Yep, I did that. I remember doing that. That's not what he's looking for. Even though it's okay to know what you're doing, it's okay to know your evidence, but there's that fine line of our motivation for why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? There are a lot of active churches. There's a lot of activity in the kingdom. But what's the motivation of that? Could you be an active person in the kingdom and still be a goat? Can you be a non-active person and still be a sheep? Think about that. Can I be not involved in the kingdom of God and still be a sheep? I don't see what the Bible, I don't see the Bible saying that. I can be active in the kingdom and be a goat because I can have wrong motivations for how I do, what I do. But I can't be doing nothing and be a sheep. A person that does nothing is a goat. The Bible says, if you love me, you obey my teaching. Does Jesus ever teach anybody not to do anything? Does he ever say anything about you can just be a Christian and do nothing? Or does he always say to be serving people? Does he always give the teaching about doing something for others? See, this is the kind of teaching that kind of rocks a church. Because those that have been in church all your life and thinking, man, I'm, I'm comfortable, but this is the evidence that we're looking for. What is my evidence before Jesus today? I can't be a sheep and do, do nothing. I must be doing something in the kingdom. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 7, this is some good evidence. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When, Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. <laughs> and I can only imagine them looking at each other, too. Looking, hmm, what are we going to do here? Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him their, his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Oh, 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Do you see the evidence? Do you see the evidence of a spirit-filled life? They couldn't give what they didn't have. They didn't have money, but they had the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And from that, they could give this man a spiritual hug, and the result was the man was healed. That's the evidence that we need to have in our lives. That's the evidence that needs to follow a spirit-filled believer or any believer that, that puts Jesus Christ first in their life. That's the evidence I want. That's the evidence I want. Don't you? Don't you want that? Isn't there something within you that says, I want to be that kind of a person? I want to be that kind of a person that makes a difference in the world. When people walk, walk around me or I walk into a room, I want people to know there's a godly man in the room. I want the enemy to know there's a godly man in the room. I want the devil to know and all his demons that watch out because Rip's in the house or Andrea's in the house or Lawrence or Sandra's in the house or Robin or Mike or whoever's in the house. I want them to know that, hey, somebody's in the house and we're not going to stand for non-activity. We're not going to stand for a sheep uh, or a goat mentality who's covered like a sheep. We're not going to look, we're not going to put up with that. So what does your evidence say? What does your evidence say about your life? What does my evidence say about my life? Let's continue on with what Jesus said in verse 41 and 43. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. See, the consequences of evidence are just as serious in the negative as evidence proved for the righteous in the positive. Jesus is just as serious about the consequences of non-action as he is about the blessings of action. He can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus that is so concerned about blessing a person, but yet not concerned about giving what's duly right for them if they don't do anything. Consequences are there regardless, good or bad. The future for the goat, Christian, is not good. Depart from you, me, who, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is serious, folks. This is a serious thing that we understand that if I am going to be a sheep, I have to work the kingdom. And if I am not willing to work the kingdom, then I am a goat. And my future is eternal damnation in the fire of hell that was prepared for the devil. We have to speak about hell. We have to speak about the negative because that's reality if I'm not doing the positive. Jesus is just as serious about the negative as he is about the positive. Now, he wants us to be the positive. He wants us, he's very patient, he wants us to be a sheep. But if we choose not to, he's not going to make us a sheep. We are going to be what we are. Verse 44, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? What's amazing here is that they took what Jesus said in about three verses into one verse. And I see cynicism all over this. 
Come on, God, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick? They can't even repeat the charges. They can't even repeat it in fullness because they know they're guilty, so they're being cynical. Come on, when did we see you that way? Oh, come on. We, do, you, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see how easily we can become cynical when we look at people that are less fortunate than us? We'll say, why doesn't that guy just get a job? Why doesn't that guy just clean himself up? Why doesn't that family just make that kid behave? I know we say that because I've said it. And Lord, forgive me for saying things like that. But you know, our cynicism proves if I'm a sheep or a goat. If I'm cynical, if I'm not willing to understand they have things that, in their life that I don't know about. I don't know about their past. I don't know the way they were raised. I don't know how the vices have controlled them in the past. I have no right to judge a person outside of the church. Now, if a person's claiming to be a Christian, that's a different story. But if he doesn't claim to be a Christian, I have no right to judge him. I have no right to put him down. My only right, my only thing, my only action is to love them and to go to them no matter what they smell like no matter what they look like, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much money they don't have, no matter if they're homeless or not, my only responsibility to them, them, is to love them, not to judge them. That separates me from a sheep or a goat. Wow. We're so busy sometimes living the American dream, taking care of our own family, taking care of our own people that we love, that we don't understand truly who our neighbors are. Yeah. What will Jesus' response be? Look at verse 45 and 46. He, re- he will reply, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. See? Um, there is a sin of omission. The things that I don't do are just as serious as the things that I do do. Yeah. That sin of omission is a serious sin. If the Lord asks me to do something and I don't do it, or if there is a need made known to me that I choose not to do, I have the ability to do it, I have the funds to do it, I have the resources to do it, and I choose not to do it, that is as serious as me being a mass murderer. Amen? The sin of omission is as serious as the sin of commission. And see, and I think that's where we're good. We're good at the be. We're, we're good at not doing the things that are bad. I know that. We're, we're good at that for the most part. But the but the thing that I'm not very good at sometimes is doing the things that I don't do. I should be doing better on the things that I don't do. <laughs> Does that make sense? You follow me on that? I didn't confuse you, did I? But the sin of omission is critical because Jesus said, "Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me." That's called the sin of omission. What you did not do, you are accountable for. Just as accountable for the things that you did do. So help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus, to see that differently. Help us, Lord, to see what needs to be done around us. James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone knows then, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin. It is a sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Amen. Help us, Lord. The sin of not doing what one knows to do is just as serious 
Matthew Henry says again in his commentary, he said, it is the omission of works of charity to the poor. They are not sentenced for omitting their sacrifices and burnt offerings, but for, but for omitting the weightier matter of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. What he's saying there is that these people, they're not being sentenced because they're not making sacrifices. They are making sacrifices. They are giving to them. They are doing the things that look good on the outside. They are giving their burnt offerings. He said, but they're, but they're sentenced for omitting the weightier matter of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. In other words, he goes on to say, uncharitableness to the poor is a damning sin. If we will not be brought to works of charity by the hope of reward, let us be influenced by fear of punishment. For they shall have, for they shall have judgment without mercy. They, have showed, they th that have showed no mercy. Observe, he doth not say, I was sick and you did not care for me or cure me in prison. You did not release me. But you visited me not, which you might have done. See, sinners will be condemned at the great day for the omission of that good which was in their power of their hand to do. I may not have the power to raise a dead person. I may not have the power that Peter and James had. I may not walk in a gift of healing the way they walked. I wish I would. I pray I would. I may not have that, but I can do what I can do. I have the right to do something for somebody. So don't think that if you can't do the big thing, that it's not worth doing the little thing. The little things are just as important as the big things. Just as important as the big things. What you do, do it to the best that you can. And who knows? You may be pleasantly surprised because you may go to that person and you may pray for them and you know what? They might be healed. Amen? They just might. And you shouldn't be surprised if they are. How many have seen healings? I've seen healings. I've seen God work the miraculous. I'm not surprised by that. At the same time, I'm not disappointed if it doesn't happen because I know that he's pleased in the little things that I do too. So I've not given up on the little things. Jackie, if you would come, please. We'll start to get ready for communion here. But I think I want to I just end this today in this. How do we apply this today in our lives? How do we apply this? Well, we have to look at evidence. What's your evidence? What's your evidence? Yeah. You know, I just look at things that, that we could say, I do that and I do this, or I don't do that and I don't do this. And I am not at all indicating that we don't live righteous lives by things we don't do at all. I think that it is right that we don't do some things as an evidence of our testimony. But I think more importantly that I think that we need to start looking at God. Please open my heart and life to what, show me what I'm not doing and that I need to be doing. Now, and I'm not putting guilt, I'm not putting condemnation on people. I know we have some really hardworking people in this church. I know that. I also know that there are some that aren't working so hard and, you know, so I know that too. I'm just saying that, Lord, we need to be open. We need to know what our evidence is. And if I'm going to come before the Lord today, then I need to know, I need to know that there are some things that I need to be doing better. I want to give you a sheet of paper. And, uh, and on the sheet, is, there's two sides of paper. There's two sides to it. One side, um, it's called a call to action. And this is some things, I took some of this off from last week's service we had at the, uh, at the uh, Orphan Sunday.
But I know part of the problem that we have is maybe you don't know what you can do. Maybe that's the problem of leadership. Maybe we haven't given you a good example of what you can do. So here's a list of things that you can do. There's an all, and there's a many, and there's a few. All can do something. All need to do something. But not everybody can do everything. There are some things that other people are gifted to do that you're not, and that's okay. That's okay. We're not trying to make everybody clones. We're not trying to make everybody robots. We're just trying to say, operate in the gifts that you have and in the strengths that you have. So I'd like you to take this today, if you would, and just read through that, okay, and see what you can do. And on the other side, I really questioned if I should do this or not, but I did it anyways, because this is something that's very serious about ourselves. And I put it on the other side, it says, and I, I title it, What's Your Evidence Say About You? And so I'm asking you to take some time to evaluate your life and honestly list, list out the evidence God and man see. Now, this is for your eyes only. I'm not asking you to share this with me. I'm not asking you to share it with your spouse or anybody. Everybody should have a paper and I would ask that everyone go through this list, it's blank, and fill out what is my evidence. Not in a prideful way, not in a way that you're going to show this before God and say, God, see what I did. He already knows. But I'm asking you, asking myself, if I'm a godly man, then really, what is my evidence? What is Jesus going to see at, my, at the end of my day? Can I list some things down here in a humble way? as I prayerfully and humbly look at my life and say, God, am I really living the life that you're pleased with? I just think it's a good time to evaluate ourselves. I think now is the time to do that. This is the message of love. And I'm going to ask you to take one and just use this as an opportunity for self-evaluation and just let the Lord speak with, to you in that heart, in that way. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to just um, ask you to examine my heart and my life. Lord, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to uh, self-deceive myself. And I, I don't want to do things that I would be regret later. So Father, I'm asking you to be evident in my life and show me the evidence of my life. That I can do better today. That I can do the things that I need to do today. That I can be sure that I am a sheep Father, so I just pray that all of us would take this as an opportunity to self-examine our hearts and our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing as we go today. And uh, make sure you grab a piece of this paper, if you would, and just be honest about it. And just let the Lord use this as a good opportunity for evidence in your life. Amen.
Amen. Father, go with us today. You're so worthy. We thank you so much. Forgive us, lead us, encourage us, fill us, we pray, that we will be impactful in the kingdom that we're around. In Jesus' name, amen.